There was an idea to bring together a group of remarkable people to see if we could become something more. So when they needed us, we could fight the battles that they never could. I'm here to talk to you about the Avenger Initiative. Welcome to Now Playing Podcast Review of Werewolf by Night. In our modern world, this is where monsters dwell. Part of Now Playing's Avengers and Marvel Comics movie series. The Avengers. That's what we call ourselves. Earth's Mightiest Heroes. Hosted by Arnie. He was a leader. A friend. <laughs> Lover without equal. Jacob. I do hope my attendance delights you. And Stuart. A monster. Masquerading as one of our. What are you prepared to do? At NowPlayingPodcast.com, you can find reviews that span the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe. You just don't know when to give up, do you? I can do this all day. But be warned, this episode will contain detailed plot spoilers and mildly objectionable language. And guru. Whoa, language! Listener discretion is advised. Gentlemen, you're up. We hope you enjoy the show. I'll be rotting for you. Today we're discussing Werewolf by Night, starring Gail Garcia Bernal, Laura Donnelly, Harriet Sansom Harris, directed by Michael Giacchino. But you named the composer, Arnie. Who's the director? Ah, Michael Giacchino. Again, the composer. We're looking for a director. Yep, he has moved into directing now. This is Arnie, co-host of Now Playing, podcaster by night. And Stuart. And this is the greatest disappointment to many people's lives. Jacob. Happy Halloween, guys. We're coming out a day early. Typically, our Tuesday show is the freebie, but because we love Halloween... And because Disney Plus made this as a Halloween special, we decided Werewolf by Night is your Monday treat. Better than Adam's Family Halloween special, no matter what I think of this. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed. Low bar. (laughs) Yeah, Werewolf by Night, a special. Not a made-for-TV movie, but a special. So, Stuart, why are we covering Werewolf by Night? Because we love Marvel. You do? That's news to me. And because this kind of looked cool? Uh, Well, we love it in the sense that we have followed it from Howard the Duck and a Man-Thing movie that has been probably completely fallen to the bottom of the swamp. We don't miss a Marvel for the most part, unless it's a TV series. It just seemed like if it's Halloween and this is Marvel's Halloween special, why don't we do it? And I'm curious, I, is this a comic book character? Is this werewolf, someone that hangs with Blade or Captain America? Yeah, go back to our Moon Knight show. This is where Moon Knight made his appearance in Werewolf at Night. Also, Morbius, I think we get a werewolf versus vampire reference in this film, but like Morbius would show up. But yes, Jack Russell, the werewolf, get it? The terrier? Yes. 
They did it on purpose because I kept thinking about the dog. Yeah, it's it's 1970s comics. They're not above that. But yes, Jack Russell, he's kind of like a teen wolf. Like just his family's cursed and he becomes a werewolf at night and fights crime. He's a good werewolf. But the weird thing about this special is like it's more of a Bloodstone special. Elsa Bloodstone, like that's a totally separate character. Her father, Ulysses, he had a series like in the 70s, but she's pretty new in, in terms of comics. She didn't get her own series till 2001. So they're kind of like combining the monster verse with these Marvel comics and, and putting it into one special here. Yeah, you're talking stuff I don't know. I've kept to the superhero regions of Marvel. Elsa Bloodstone is a character I know because she was in a video game I played of Marvel's, and that is all I know about her. So you're saying that Blade and Morbius kind of traveled both sides. There is one other thing I know. I have an action figure set of Marvel Legends that basically is the Universal Monsters. I've got Dracula, I've got a Wolfman. Here's the thing, Dracula is a Marvel character, not just Dracula, Nosferatu, because Elsa Bloodstone teamed up with Dracula to hunt down Nosferatu in the Marvel Universe. Okay, so I guess those are characters that are in public domain. You can just grab the Bram Stoker creation and put them in whatever you want. And when did this happen? 2000? This was in the 2000s, yeah. Okay. I guess there was a lot of vampires in that first decade of the new millennium. We had that Twilight and Underworld fandom to appeal to. Well, I was curious to think that, you know, silly me, it's almost completely eradicated by the opening montage, but I thought maybe this was a Marvel horror comic that had nothing to do with superheroes. I actually thought it was potentially like they just had like an EC comics, like this was their Crypt Keeper or something, like th these would be horror comics. Well, again, in the 70s, when you started getting these things, you still had the comics code, you couldn't have horror comics. So I think this was their way to get around it. Like these are literary figures we're putting in. It's mm. not a vampire, it's Dracula. And so, yeah, it, it was in the 70s, they started loosening up with the code. So you could start getting these kind of monster elements in there again. Mm hmm. But they were very much fighting each other in combat in the ways that I would expect Hawkeye and the Wasp to do. Mm, I'm not sure what you mean by that. I mean, they're fighting like we'll see in this with axes and, and magical stones and weapons. And like it would be people hunting monsters and monsters fighting monsters. You wouldn't have Wolfman in an Iron Man suit. My point is that when I think of horror movies, I don't necessarily think about them being fights, you know, like fist fighting. Correct. Because they got to be good monsters, like some of them, so they're always helping people. Okay. So my question is, how does this fit into the Marvel Cinematic Universe? I was hoping you could tell me, because I watched a little, like, junket thing with Kevin Feige, and he said, this is going to be, like, the cornerstone. This world reintroduced will be the cornerstone of the future Marvel Universe. He's kidding. That's a joke. That's tongue-in-cheek. I don't know. We got Blade coming back at some point. Like, we could have a MonsterVerse. <laughs> also not a linchpin of any kind. <laughs> just the superhero that started the superhero movie craze. But yeah, I just try to figure out where this could go with crossovers. And this does feel like an isolated special. There are no ties. There are no cameos. There's no post credit scene. I think they moved that up to the last scene. <laughs> you mentioned Moon Knight. Oscar Isaac doesn't wander on mid-credits to talk to Man-Thing or the werewolf or anything. But the fact that Man-Thing is here did feel like expansion. 
you know, a callback to something we watched. For those that know the deep cuts. <laughs> I don't think they want us to think about that, Stuart. I think they'd rather we think about the comic book. Sure. I don't know. I enjoy this. I think it would work with, like, Doctor Strange. He seems adjacent to this kind of world. Like, again, I've always said, like, with Hawkeye, I like those C&D list heroes. So to go into a strange place of, of this comic book universe with monsters and hunting, and especially it, it's Halloween. Like, it makes sense to me. If you paid that $4 billion for these IPs, use them. Yeah, I'm firmly convinced that if it was ever published, Marvel will one day recreate it in some form, whether it be a TV series, TV special, feature film. They're not embarrassed by any of their properties, it seems. And they're going to make sure that they all come together in some giant jigsaw kind of way. I do expect, even though you're right, there is no tie evident right now. I do expect that this is a beginning and that we will in some way, shape or form see this werewolf again. So how excited were you guys for Werewolf by Night? I know I was curious about it, but I didn't race to watch it the first day. I had a friend in town and my wife and we gathered around to watch this. And about midway through, my friend was like, yeah, can we watch something else? <laughs> so I went back later alone to finish it. What about you guys? Midway through? It's <laughs> like 30 minutes? They didn't make it through 30 minutes? <laughs> no, they they made it about 20 minutes in and then, like, started to wander from the room. Yeah, this one I remember hearing about and just rolling my eyes. I'm like, I don't ever want to watch that. I hope we don't get stuck <laughs> having to do this. I thought it was going to be another series. And then I saw the trailer and I'm like, it's black and white. It looked very violent. Like, the, the trailer makes this look much more violent than it is, though. It's somewhat violent. I was surprised at some points, but I'm like, that was a pretty good trailer, but I don't want to get involved with another series. And then I found out it's like a 45 minute show. Watched it day of release. You know what? I'm way behind. I'm not the superhero guy, first and foremost. I haven't seen She-Hulk, Miss Marvel. I don't know any of the Star Wars properties that Disney Plus has been doing. I don't really turn on Disney Plus. <laughs> I have a subscription, but I didn't know that this was coming. It really was in trying to think of what we could do for Halloween and, you know, combing new releases that I became aware of this property. I had suggested it before I saw it, and I saw it just a few days ago for the first and only time. And were you guys excited or skeptical about prolific composer Michael Giacchino stepping into the director's chair. I had no idea he was the director until I watched it the second time for the review. I'm like, oh, who directed this? Because I, I like the style of it. And I'm like, this has got to be a typo. Like, I'm not going to believe what Letterboxd is telling me. So, like, then I go to IMDb and then I do, like, a random Google search just to verify. Like, I'm like, okay, like, has John Williams ever directed something besides an orchestra? No, it's not something you typically see. Cinematographers, absolutely. Screenwriters, for sure. Actors, all the time. But composers, yeah. I feel like the world of music is very different than the language of film. And to be able to speak both languages... I haven't seen it before. I don't know if this says something, maybe something special about this directory, or, like, is Marvel just such a machine now? Like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> like, yeah, have the caterer come over and direct a couple scenes. Like, we're good. This isn't the first thing he's directed, but it's probably the most notable. You know, you always have to sharpen your teeth a little bit and prove you can do it. He did a short film, and then he did a couple of Star Trek short Treks episodes. Whatever that is. 
Yeah, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, they made sure that he wanted to do this, and his commitment was enough that they said, okay, we'll give you 52 minutes. I just laugh because I know Arnie, I don't have strong opinions about this man, but you really <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> hold like grudges or something. Like, I don't think you hate all of his work, but you seem to resent his dominance. Uh, Because he is everywhere. Superhero movies, Pixar movies. Uh, You've heard his music, for sure. And I've gotten the sense that more times than not, you're irritated by it, Arnie. Listen, he has done some amazing work. I really like what he did with the anthem for Star Trek 2009. That entire summer, I spent listening to that score by him. But by and large, he likes to bang a drum or find a note. He does it in here, too. Pull out a very low tuba or whatever instrument it is and go, boom. He set that tuba on fire, though. Boom. <laughs> boom. I just did Michael Giacchino's every score ever. Right there. Yeah. A foghorn effect. I did have flashbacks of the Batman. He did that one, right? But I like that, so I think that like that's our difference. I like the minimalism. You don't. I come from the school of John Williams. I like music. Anthems. Yeah, and he makes sounds, but not what I would consider music. That feels like criticism. You're not making music. He's making music. This is a whole different podcast. (laughs) Yeah, it is music. I think what you're saying is I want melody. I want a strong theme. I mean, you're at a motion picture. You want the spectacle for your eyes and your ears, is what I think Arnie is saying. Yes. Yeah. That's a Batman theme. Correct. Not droning. (laughs) But, you know, I would say that oftentimes his music does complement what's happening on screen. It doesn't feel like he's out of sync. And so, yes, if he wants to make a flaming tuba score to a werewolf special, well, yeah, I'm game. I'm curious. I'm always curious to see people stretch. And this is obviously an attempt to stop watching dailies and start creating his own vision. He can now create his own music video. What I really wondered, I knew he directed this. My question was, would he be his own composer or would he actually work with a composer? But no, he he kept the reins on the music for this one. Yeah, I couldn't imagine it any other way. But Arnie, why don't you tell him what he made and we'll... Find out about this Disney Plus special. Renowned monster hunter Ulysses Bloodstone is dead. He was leader of a cabal of monster hunters and the owner of the magical Bloodstone, which grants the wielder magical powers, including enhanced strength, protection, and longevity. The Bloodstone would have passed to Ulysses' daughter Elsa, played by Laura Donnelly, but Elsa was estranged. As such, Ulysses' widow Verusa has invited five great monster hunters— members of Ulysses' guild, to the Bloodstone estate. There the hunters will engage in a special hunt Verusa has arranged, and the first to kill the monster will take possession of the Bloodstone. There end up being six competitors, though. Elsa shows up uninvited, but due to her blood relation, Verusa allows her to compete. The monster hunters are out to kill each other as well as the monster, and Elsa kills one hunter named Leorn in self-defense. Elsa isn't much interested in murdering the other monster hunters, nor is the hunter named Jack Russell, played by Gail Garcia Bernal. When the two hunters get locked in a mausoleum, Jack confesses to Elsa he isn't there to kill the monster, and he doesn't care about the bloodstone. The monster being hunted that night is the man-thing, or, 
as Jack calls him, Ted. Jack and Man-Thing are friends, and Jack is trying to help Man-Thing escape. Jack and Elsa make a pact that Elsa will assist in the escape, and in return, Elsa will get the Bloodstone. Man-Thing has killed one hunter, named Joven, but Jack blows a hole in the wall, allowing Man-Thing to escape into the night. When Jack bends to pick up the Bloodstone, though, he is thrown back. Verusa knows what that means. While he looks human, Jack is a monster. Verusa locks Jack in a cage with Elsa and uses the Bloodstone to trigger Jack's transformation. Jack turns into a werewolf, but to Verusa's frustration, the beast doesn't kill Elsa. It breaks from the cage and slaughters Vanessa's guardsmen. Elsa also escapes and has to fight and kill the two remaining hunters, Barrasso and Azeril. Meanwhile, Verusa is using the Bloodstone to overpower the werewolf. Elsa helps Jack to escape, so Verusa turns her wrath on Elsa. The Widow tries to use the Bloodstone to kill Elsa, but before she can, Ted the Man-Thing returns and kills Verusa. Man-Thing then goes off into the night to find his friend. We see Elsa, the only surviving hunter, has her birthright, the Bloodstone, because it would be really confusing for a person named Bloodstone to not have a Bloodstone, and Jack and Ted share some coffee as credits roll. <laughs> And as they start, now, like Stuart, I have not kept up on all of Disney's many Marvel offerings, but we get this really cool, like, special presentation logo that reminds me of, like, I don't know, stuff I would see in the 70s and 80s. Is this new? Is this the first time they've used this? I don't know if they've had specials before. This is brand new, and I love that. It takes me right back to when I used to watch Halloween specials. This is probably very esoteric, but there was a Garfield Halloween special where he got lost on Halloween and couldn't find his way home. And these shows like that, Great Pumpkin Charlie Brown, if I want to go a bit more common, would always start with this special, especially on CBS. They'd have the CBS special logo. And to have these rainbow colors and things, I absolutely loved this opening and i guess it is the opening for other specials they're gonna do oh there's a guardians of the galaxy one coming in december i thought maybe they did it because they wanted to reassure audiences nothing was wrong with their tv set because i didn't realize didn't watch the trailer <laughs> very quickly after this to me it reminded me of like hbo in the 80s kind of opening the marvel the typical traditional mcu opening uh, gets slashed lightning and screams made black and white and then gets turned yeah it's a black and white experience for much of the rest of it and i think that is an unexpected choice that will have people curious including me when is this taking place what does that signify is this telling us that this is a 1940s story happening in concurrence with world war ii no, I think it's current because we start off with the Avengers when we get this big exposition dump. Like, that is the world that I guess is known, but there's a secret world underneath with all these monsters. But we see the Avengers, so I feel like they're telling us that this is contemporary. But the title, I mean, Werewolf by Night is the way that they would have written it in 1948, you know? Yeah, they're doing very much a universal monster movie here. Mm -hmm. See, I can't tell when it is. I know they start with the Avengers, but just because they say this is a world they don't know about doesn't mean that this is contemporary this entire movie the second time i watched it i was paying close attention there seems to only be one thing that feels contemporary and that's some small explosives that they're going to have that feels like a modern device but they're going to be fighting with swords and crossbows and things like that this could be taking place in the 1930s i really can't tell 
which is why I question how and where it would fit in with the Marvel canon. And I did research, and no definitive answer has been given in any interview I could find or anything. Yeah, I think that they can do whatever they want with it. They've left it so vague that, yes, I suspect we are to think that it is connected to the Avengers, but whether it's the first Avenger or after the blip... I don't know. It's just hard to imagine. This world does feel of another time. And some of it is the black and white. And some of it is just that no one has cell phones and no one is talking with modern vernacular. I'm not even sure where it's where we are, what country this is. Elsa seems British. Jack seems American. I kind of thought this was in the United States mainly because that's where Man-Thing happened. <laughs> yeah, but he's captured. I was taking vaguely European. It looks like a big castle, like, we don't really have those in America. I mean, all the hunters come from far-off regions. They've descended onto this, yeah, dome of some kind, but Bloodstone, yeah, it's got a gothic feel. So either New England or, yeah, somewhere in the UK, Old England. But I'm grooving to it. I, I would just say it's a happy surprise to realize they're doing it, and my only real complaint is it doesn't feel like a 40s movie enough. In the end, I do feel like maybe just to recognize that young people are not going to want to watch a movie from the 1940s. It doesn't really have that vibe once we get to the storyline. I don't know. I, I'm sure there's been people complaining about the look of this werewolf. We'll talk about it when we get there, but I, I don't know many universal monster movies. Do they have crank up steampunk corpses <laughs> in them? I hope so. <laughs> not that I know of. Yeah, that was kind of a fun opening here where we're introduced to a couple of our monster hunters. I mostly don't know this cast, but two of the first people we're introduced to, I do know. There's the big bearded monster hunter, Joven. I called him Kurt Russell, because that's who he looked like. He's played by Kirk Thatcher, who I think he's best known for flipping off Spock and Kirk on a bus in Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home. <laughs> oh, the punk rocker? Favorite character of that movie, yes, the punker. Okay. That's a weird title to be famous for. I didn't recognize him on that. <laughs> I mean, I think that says something about his career. Yeah, he's a character actor. And then the person playing the widow, Verusa Bloodstone, I recognized her. It bothered me for a while. She was Frasier's manager on the TV show Frasier. She would guest star on that show regularly. I have proudly never watched an episode of that show, so unfamiliar with her work there. Oh, you missed a classic. Apparently she's on Desperate Housewives as well, but I don't know these properties. Never watched that either. <laughs> she is Sammy Jenkins' wife that he kills in Memento. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. That reference makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. But I wouldn't have recognized her from this. And I will just go ahead and say, no. other than Gail Garcia Bernal, whose career I have followed for many decades, I don't know any of these people. And that kind of works for it. It kind of just allows me to go with the vibe that these are characters and not famous people putting on costumes. That helps for me as well. I don't know our lead. Assuming our lead is Elsa Bloodstone, Laura Donnelly, this does appear to be much her story. And I guess she's on a show that I hear good things about, Outlander, but I don't really know her. She's already off that show. She was only in the first couple of seasons. She's on a Joss Whedon HBO show that nobody watched because I guess he got canceled. The Nevers. Yeah, I didn't know he was still working. Yeah, he made this show and she was the star, and unfortunately, I don't think it's going to get another season for her. 
So here she is, kind of doing a similar thing, a Victorian steampunk badass. Blowing in here, we get the sense, you're right, it is her story. It's called Werewolf by Night. Again, I don't know what I'm walking into. I'm expecting all these people to be hunting a werewolf. And she seems to be the most interesting character because she's the wayward daughter. She ran away for unknown reasons, although there's some mention that her biological mother was some kind of problem. Who is she? Well, in the comics, Elise Bloodstone, here's the thing. Ulysses Bloodstone, really bad dad, like to toughen up his baby Elsa, like let's throw her into a, the ocean with great white sharks and let her fend for herself. And her mom wasn't cool with that. And so like she kept like trying to, you know, get hold of the situation and Ulysses, not the greatest guy, like had her locked up secretly as a mental patient. And so, yeah, her mom was taken away. Okay, so it's not so much that she was a superhero or something. It's just that, yes, this is a tough love family, and they believe very early that in order to fight monsters, you have to do extreme things to your children. Okay, got it. So she ran away, but now she's back, and she has all of this anger towards her family. She wants this stone, really not because of what it would give her, but it seems like something she can take away from her stepmom. She seems to really hate Verusa. Yeah, and, and I hate Verusa, though I love the performance, but like when she's like, we hope you'd be like your father, but you ended up being like your mother. Like, this is a Disney production. Like, she's got that real wicked stepmother vibe going. Mm, good point. Fairy tale-ish. Yes, there's tension there in her returning. She's the only one that does seem to have anything deeper than just sort of a caricature. Everyone else just kind of looks cool in their costume. Even our hero, again, I thought this was going to be an origin story in which Gail Garcia Bernal, Jack Russell, comes in here to fight a monster and gets bitten by it and becomes one. That was really what I thought I was watching. Uh, they fooled me. I had no idea that he was already a monster in disguise. What did you think of the makeup? Like, they make such a big deal that he has this makeup on, this face paint, and he's saying it's worshipping his ancestors. I couldn't find anything like, look, I didn't go back and read every Werewolf by Night comic, but he's just got this face makeup on the entire time, and I don't know why. It never comes into play at any point. I felt it got lost in the black and white. He looks pretty pale in this black and white. Everybody in here does, except for the black man. And so most shots, I couldn't get a good look at this makeup. It's like they didn't makeup test it in black and white. They did a color makeup test on film, went, looks great. But only in extreme close-ups can I really even get a hint of what it is. I know it's his eyes are sunken, but other than that, I miss it. Yeah, I, I get the sense that it's vaguely tribal, and maybe it's meant to make him look fierce. If you look at all of these hunters, with the exception of Elsa, they all have scars, and just like, you know, this work has hurt them, maimed them, deformed them, and Jovan is, is even bragging that, you know, it's lonely, and he's the only one that seems to be social, you know, he's trying to, to talk to Jack as he's wandering around this foyer. Very proud of his 57 kills. Right, yeah. What strikes everyone is the fact, and I don't quite understand this myself, is that Jack is claiming to have killed over 100, but in fact has killed none? Well, what confused me, and I thought this would come up at some point too, is like, everyone's like, you got 26 kills, you got 37 kills. And then they say that Jack has over 100 deaths. And I'm like, oh, that's going to mean something. She used a different word to describe what he did. But no, it just seems like, I don't know. I think he lied because he gives a full story later on how he locks himself up every full moon. So this was just part of his ruse to get in. I actually took it that he is a monster hunter who also happens to be a monster. He was in the guild. He has the pendant that members of the guild have. 
I figure he, and probably with help from Man-Thing, have been out hunting monsters. He does reference that when they show all the different heads on the wall, like he did fight some vampire creature, he comments. But I wasn't sure if he did that as a human or a werewolf, because werewolf versus vampire seems like a common story to be told. So I wish that they would have clarified a little bit of that more, but I think his fighting skills and everything come from monster hunting. I don't know how much more work a werewolf can find. Yeah, again, I'm not even thinking that he is a werewolf, so they got me on that one. I'm thinking that, yes, there's something very special about him. The makeup signals to me, and the 100 deaths signals to me that he is extraordinary among this room of um, noted killers. And why that may be, and how that will fall back on him, is what I'm waiting to see. Now, what I really wish they would explain, you've already referenced it, Jacob, but there is like a Chuck E. Cheese version of Ulysses? (laughs) No, this is his corpse. I think this is all rigged up to give his, like, the rules for this contest. Yeah, I had three theories on this. One, it could just be a robot... Or it could be that they actually are puppeting his corpse. Or he's a zombie and he's still alive, but kind of dead. No, there's a crank going on the side. Yeah, we see him get cranked up. Okay. But I do believe this is his corpse. Even though it looks very Chuck E. Cheese, I think that they rigged his corpse to be puppeted by that crank. Yeah, he is, at least in the comics, a 10,000-year-old caveman that found that stone, I guess, very early on in civilization and has lived a long time. But here he is just a corpse. Again, I'm going with Disney. I'm like, is this too scary for, like, Disney Plus? No, this is the haunted house. Like, this feels like some animatronic that you would see on that ride, and that is not a slam. Like, Mm -hmm. I, I love, like, this weird steampunk invention. It feels like something Del Toro would do. Yeah, it creates a mood. I mean, I don't quite get it. And again, there's a part of me that was hoping he would be the Crypt Keeper and we get into a horror story. Maybe they'd all tell their <laughs> tales of what they've hunted and it would just be much more like Creep Show. I didn't know what I was watching, obviously. He makes a Creeper-worthy joke of, I'll be rotting for you. But largely, this character goes away. Yeah, he's there for exposition in a clever way. And then on to the hunt. And Elsa, clearly the outsider, they do include a little bit of discussion of why does she even get to participate? A question that's not really given a good answer because it really does seem that Verusa doesn't want Elsa to win at any cost. So why she lets her, even though she's not in the guild? Well. Yeah, I think she's hoping she gets killed. And because she hasn't gone through the training, maybe she isn't as prepared, or at least, you know, by traditional measure. Yeah, because this is, without credits, like a 45-minute show, like, we get no backstory for Jack Russell, no backstory, really, for Elsa. Like, we don't know what she's been up to. Is she hunting monsters? Is she trained? We don't really know it at all. And let's just get to that, since you brought it up. Is this too short? Should we know more? I don't think we should know about Jack Russell, because they're playing a game here. We aren't to know the secret that he's a monster for 30 minutes or so. But it's a room full of people that, you know, look good on a poster, but I don't particularly care about. Look, again, a 40-minute special, it's there to get in and out and entertain you. If you made this a movie, there's definitely room to expand on. Yeah, I'd want to get into those kind of backgrounds and know more about this group. I don't want a two-and-a-half-hour movie. I don't want a six-hour TV special. But yeah, 90-minute horror film with some Marvel stuff in it. Yeah, you could definitely expand on this and flesh it out more. I agree. I don't know what the restriction was, why it had to be a special instead of just a made-for-streaming 90-minute movie. 
But as it is, I do find it hard to care even for the main characters, let alone the side characters. Yeah, I care about Jack Russell because I like Gael. I've seen many movies. You Too, Mama, Tom Bien is one of my favorite movies. Bad Education. Many, many times he's been pretty great on screen. So I'm expecting him to impress me once he turns into the werewolf. I'm giving him a pass. Everyone else, like I said, I really thought we'd go around the room and everyone would tell a 10-minute story about how they earned the right to be there. That means they'd have to come up with 10-minute stories because based on all my research, when I finally found out the names of all these characters to try to see, like, what is their deal, I'm going to conclude that they were all just made up for this show because everything I found said they were part of the Earth 1999-99, which is the MCU. So they do not have comic counterparts. Okay. Gotcha. And if you're going to kill them, that makes sense. You don't want to kill all the characters from the comics so quickly. You may want to come back and mine that a little later for Werewolf by Night 2. Right. Which I fully expect is, in some form, uh, what this is setting up. I don't believe that this is the one and only time we're ever going to see this. And indeed, you're saying Feige, at least in just, suggested this is a really important moment. This monster world, yes, is going to be the cornerstone of the future MCU. Okay. Or maybe Bloodstones. Again, what they're fighting for is a red emerald, not unlike, you know, what would have gone on Thanos' gauntlet. The Mind Stone or Power Stone. Yeah, whatever one was red. The Ether. Yeah. Getting back to that jewelry is magic. The only thing in color. I mean, that's one thing they do is anything the Bloodstone does, the Bloodstone itself glows red on this black and white screen. It's a real Schindler's List. Yeah. And so what they're told is it's going to be attached to this fearsome beast. Real tease about what that might be. Again, I'm thinking werewolf. And they each draw, you know, numbers to see who goes in first. I don't know if Michael Giacchino is a great director, but I do feel like he is doing something I always respect about good directors. David Lynch is really big on sound design. I would expect nothing less from a composer-director that he has a really interesting way of making background noise and music sound identical. You can't tell the difference between what is score and what is sound effect. And I think that helps really create a mood as Jack Russell moves into this catacombs. The flaming tuba, the howls in the distance, it all has a rhythm. It could be music. Yeah, I agree, because, Arnie, you said you, you're having a tough time getting in with these characters. I get that. They're not going to give you much. I just enjoy this concept. Like, we got monster hunters. They got to get a magic rock off a monster. Like, we're going to see some fights. We got a dude with a flaming tuba. This is more visual. If Yeah, more of a music video. Maybe that's because there's a composer here. There's not background or character work, anything like that. But just to take in as a Halloween special of spooky stuff, it works. And that's the thing that I was saying about Giacchino's scores is they could be sound effects. They do sound like background noise, and they don't sound like music a lot of the time. So here he's just doing what he does. Right. And what he's doing is showing us fights that are, I would say, earning the TV-14 rating. This is on Disney+. Plus. But I think Disney Plus recognizes to keep its full Marvel fan base happy, it cannot play to the youngest audiences all the time. And this one, pretty violent, I've got to say. As the hunters go in and start fighting one another, wasn't expecting that. We get people impaled through the head. I think Elsa gets her face smashed into concrete a couple times. Uh, this stuff packs a wallop. 
Yeah, severed arms, all, all kinds of stuff. And I got to imagine that maybe they felt a little bit safer because this is black and white. Like Lord of the Rings, PG-13, because orc blood is black, not mm. red. And here, whenever we do see blood, it's going to be black. And so I guess that softens it for some reason. I think that's the case, exactly. I can't decide if the black and white was actually in service of the violence level they wanted to hit. That could be the case, though, is if Giacchino went in and said, my vision for this is there's going to be blood running down the lens, Feige or somebody at Disney is going to be like, okay, (laughs) let's discuss. Or he realized he could get away with that shot, which surprised me because, yes, I want to make this look like the Universal Monsters, and I know black and white you could get away with more. But yeah, there's really only one fight that lasts here is Elsa versus the guy with the crossbow on his arm. She cuts off his arm and then kills him. Everybody else is still running around. The second death is done by Man-Thing when he gets revealed. Yeah, didn't know this was coming. You didn't know? I love that. What was the reaction? Uh, A slow scratching of the head of like, wait, is that (laughs) Darkwater Man-Thing? Like, I had to make sure. I can't believe you remember Darkwater. Yeah. Oh, I remember that one. (laughs) It's funny because, like, obviously, like, him and Swamp Thing are kind of similar. And I just go to Swamp Thing. So I saw that arm. I'm like, Swamp Thing. I'm like, wait, wait, wait. Wrong universe. And then he revealed himself. But, yes, I was caught by surprise. I didn't know this going in. We're going to get a Man Thing film. Uh, Sadly, I was spoiled on that long before this ever premiered. So I was anxiously waiting Man Thing. (laughs) And so he looks great and i kept wondering why does he look so good and she hulk looks so bad and i found out after my answer this is not a cgi man thing this is an animatronic man thing that then was cgi enhanced but there was a physicality they made a big man thing Hmm. so they're actually playing off a puppet Yeah, a puppet that could move quite well from the the behind-the-scenes stuff, so... Yeah, it it felt like it had tangibility to it. Sometimes CGI could feel kind of weightless, but this felt like there was some mass to it. Yeah, I think they just did the face in CGI, but the rest of it was real. That's why it looked so good. And again, black and white helps. I thought it did look good. Again, I'm on my heels because werewolf by night where's the werewolf (laughs) like i hadn't figured it out yet i thought for sure the beast was this werewolf i thought for sure it would bite jack russell oh once we see jack teaming up with man thing i'm like okay jack is the werewolf like that's gonna be his surprise because yeah monsters sticking with monster that was a little disappointing i i must confess and silly me for thinking this but being halloween i thought this could go a little bit more horrific I thought that it would be asking us to be more in suspense, more scared of the monsters. And here, it's just more adrenaline. It's more of an action piece in black and white than it ever is an old-fashioned horror movie. Yeah, and again, they're going for laughs. You you guys laugh when Man-Thing gets referenced as Ted, but that is his name before he was a Man-Thing. When he was just a man, he was Dr. Ted Theodore Salas. So, like, they are just referencing his real name, but I could see why people would find that funny, not knowing much about this character. Oh, I knew that was his real name. It's still funny to call Man-Thing Ted. (laughs) I mean, they're just being nice, like, respectful. But we find out that they're in cahoots, but then... An actual slow scene. It's hard to believe that in something only about 50 minutes long, we can have a slow scene 
but Jack accidentally locks himself in a mausoleum with Elsa that we didn't even see her get trapped inside of. She runs in there to escape one of the attackers. I don't get it, and and that's partly because I'm not drawn into her story. Elsa has some beef with her relatives, so to have her digging through the crypts and pulling out weapons and keys and all of this stuff... It's probably important for her character, but who cares about her character is, I guess, what I would say. To me, this is giving off, and again, maybe this is taking place in the 30s or 40s, but this feels like almost like Indiana Jones at this point. Yeah, she's remembering this, what, great aunt or whoever who thought she would rise from the grave, and so she needed keys to get out of the crypt, and so there's keys in her tombstone, like very much, or like that Brendan Fraser mummy movie, which I think that was in the 40s as well, but it has very much that adventuring vibe at this point for me. Mm-hmm. Like an old serial or something, which again, is not horror. Uh, maybe one day we will cover these gothic old horror movies, but I feel like I'm enjoying the mood and I recognize Marvel as Marvel, but I guess I'm slightly, ever so slightly disappointed that it isn't Marvel trying to be scary. I agree that it's not scary enough. I just wish that they could have really kept to the horror. And it's weird that this is called Werewolf by Night because by this point, we're halfway into this no werewolf whatsoever again we're dealing with man thing and so you could have called this monsters unleashed or something that was another comic they did monsters unleashed or just call it bloodstone like that's spooky blood's in the name yeah that seems like it would be more accurate and it would help me understand that i should be paying attention to elsa the performance is not bad again my irritation is only that I thought I was watching something else. So I'm just minimizing every time she's going on about needing this family heirloom and, and all of her angst. That just wasn't what I was showing up for. So calling it Bloodstone might have made me a little more patient and a, a little more tapped into her story. But yeah, when we have Man-Thing melting Yovan and you know being busted out here in the middle, this is fun. Agreed. When they get out of the mausoleum i guess this is supposed to be funny that elsa had an ancestor who was convinced they'd come back to life and so they kept keys to the mausoleum in their tomb but i'm not laughing at that as much as i am at ted oh see that i want a whole bloodstone like miniseries if you got to turn everything in marvel into a disney plus miniseries give me that adam's family bloodstone (laughs) show but man thing runs away Yeah, just about the halfway point here, Jack has that tiny explosive I talked about, not much bigger than a pocket watch, and it's enough to blow a big hole in the wall and let Man-Thing escape. And this is also where his secret gets revealed. And yes, by this point, when the stone zaps him and Verusa proclaims him not one of us, a monster in disguise, then I go, oh, okay, so... This explains a lot. It had already been insinuated by Elsa that this character wasn't killing the other hunters, didn't have bloodlust in him, and now it's apparent that the the killer that's in him is the werewolf that, well, he's got five days before a full moon, so it should be no problem. Except for that darn bloodstone, which will force a turn. Hey, I think maybe we finally have a definitive look at what time period this is, because when... Everyone discovers that he is some kind of monster. He can't touch the bloodstone. Some guards come up and they have taser sticks. So 
Taser sticks tell me, yes, this is a modern day thing. I hadn't remembered the taser sticks until we got to this point in our conversation. But tiny explosives, taser sticks, it may look like the 40s. Everybody may fashion their hair like the 40s, but I do think this is modern. Yeah, because we see a record player going in the middle of this labyrinth for some reason, and it's those old-timey, like, crank-up ones, too, but you could buy replicas of those. It's it's no Crossley. I, I, yeah, I, it maybe even be meant to be obscured, where it's timeless. It could happen in some nether region. If we know nothing else about Marvel, they're very particular about plugging things into a timeline. So at some point, I imagine, we'll have answers. But in this special, it's not clear. And yes, there are modern touches... But then there's the phonograph, as Jacob points out, with the war record. I feel like that's just a, another example of Chichino being able to do weird things with music. Again, the sound design is everything in this. The visuals, well, let's talk about this werewolf. I do love the transformation. Verusa comes in with the bloodstone, even though, as you said, there were five days. The bloodstone can transform him. And the way they do it with Shadow is one of my two favorite moments in this special. I know you could try to go American Werewolf in London or Michael Jackson's Thriller. and They've got Rick Baker on the set here. Yeah, you, you can do mm. werewolf transformations where you're really wowing yourself at the transformation. But here, in keeping with the 1940s film aesthetic... We're just going to see Elsa and watch Elsa's terrified reaction while the shadow behind her transforms. And let me give Giacchino a compliment. The two things I like best in this movie, the two favorite moments, are both depth. He really uses the depth of a set to convey multiple layers of storytelling or use it to convey different emotions at once. And here, the shadow way behind Elsa and Elsa in mid-distance, I think, really is a gorgeous shot that works well. Yeah, sometimes simple is the way to go. And I like that they, again, because it's black and white and it feels old-timey, to go with this trick that they would have used in the 30s with the shadows. And it's very stylish and, and effective. And the costume looks like it came right off of Michael Landon and I was a teenage <laughs> werewolf. Certainly does. I mean, there is one great shot, like when they first reveal him and he's got like a glow to his eyes, but yeah, it's old timey. Like it's, we're going to gum glue uh, hair to you and yeah, some prosthetic pieces on your face. Like it is not a CGI job. I think that's one thing about the television specials is maybe they don't have the CGI budget of the TV series and things. They made a robot man thing though. Yeah, which is <laughs> probably cheaper than a CGI man thing. <laughs> but they're keeping with the comic book, though, right, Jacob? I mean, I may not have ever read these, but I've seen the comic covers. Yeah, he didn't look like a lichen from Underworld with the big snout. It looked much more like that classic werewolf, wolfman design. Yeah. Wolfman. Wolfman from the 40s is what they're going for. And again, that just signals that, again, this is something very retro. And don't be afraid. The instinct is very much to signal. Now I'm realizing the title means Werewolf by Night is, yes, this is just another superhero identity. Instead of becoming Batman, I become a werewolf and I, you know, fight crime. In this case, he's going to turn on Verusa and her sentries and they deserve it. He's going to kill the last of the hunters, kind of violently, although Elsa gets the most gruesome with that sword in the face. Yeah, it is very Incredible Hulk, right? And I mean, Stan Lee used 
the werewolf as an inspiration when creating the Incredible Hulk, but the thing is that this werewolf, when he's still human, Jack sniffs Elsa all over so that he can remember her. He won't attack those he remembers, so he won't attack his friends. He's going to go berserker on everybody else, and indeed, it is incredibly violent. They couldn't get away with this in color without an R rating. They wouldn't have done this for Marvel, but he's not going to even be a threat to Elsa, so he is just another Hulk story. Yeah, I was surprised with where they go, that blood splatter on the camera lens. It feels like we had to get to Logan before saw Wolverine go this crazy, but again, black and white helps, so yeah, push it a little bit. If it's supposed to be Halloween and spooky and horror, I want to see some blood. I want to see some swords through people's heads. Mm -hmm. It's just gruesome enough, and yet in shadow and silhouette in a way that I feel like it, it'll hold the family audience. Yes, you'll turn away. The, the wee ones will cover their eyes, but that's in good tradition. It would be wrong to present a Halloween special that wasn't a bit gross. I mean, you've got to be able to get under people's skin, but they'll mostly feel safe. What I'm going to push here is that this werewolf, by this design, even if he's doing terribly violent things, the black and white, the old-time werewolfman look, this is, yeah, a safe character you can buy a doll of and give it to your five-year-old. Yeah, like I said, they made an action figure of him long before this special. But this is the second shot I wanted to call out that Giacchino did, is when you see the werewolf fighting these nameless troops or fighting Verusa, in the background, you see Elsa in a sword fight with that other woman, and it's hit me how rare that is that you have an action scene, and usually there's multiple action scenes going on at once, but usually you don't see them in the background of each other. And that was just a really nice touch that gave me a good sense of place here, and tells me Giacchino may be a much better director than I feel he is a composer. <laughs> Or at the very least, his sensibilities work well in this small format, trying to recreate something old-fashioned and make it new again. It's both modern in its choreography of fights and blood spatter and very old-fashioned, and ends with him running away and giving the final kill to Man-Thing. Ted comes back and melts Verusa just by touch. I forgot that was his whole move, but if he touches you with his hand, you burn up. Only if you know fear. Notice he'd touch Jack, and Jack didn't burn up. The whole tagline that I know, and I've never read much in the way of Man-Thing, but he who knows fear burns at the touch of Man-Thing. And did you guys notice this was just a small thing that I loved? You know, Jack had run off into the night, and Man-Thing is standing there, and Elsa's like, he went that way. And Man-Thing grabs a cloak. He knows Jack's going to be naked when he wakes up. <laughs> I did not catch that. And so Man-Thing grabs a coat. This isn't the first time Man-Thing has had to go after Jack and help him recover from being a wolf. Was there sexual tension? Maybe that mausoleum scene goes on so long. Was maybe we're supposed to feel like Jack Russell and Elsa are kind of falling for each other that it doesn't really come through i will say that i didn't feel it but it might be a reason why they you know he's got a whole lecture about family and all of that and i feel like him running away and her left you know she claimed she only wanted the stone but my sense is that she's going to want to catch up with jack at some point that there was in true gothic tradition a love for the monster 
I didn't get that from this. I wouldn't put it past them if they do further specials to try to put a romance there. Maybe she found it really sexy when he was sniffing her hair. I don't know. Maybe that's her thing, <laughs> hair sniffing. But I didn't get it from their performance. And their performances are fine, but it's not giving me any subtext like that. It's a man and a woman on screen, so therefore, by the laws of banal cinema... Movie logic. They have to fall in <laughs> love, right? Yeah, well, she got what she wanted, and she doesn't look totally satisfied, is I guess what I would say. The screen goes red as she picks up the stone, and she's sitting there contemplating, and it feels like she wants to know what Ted and the werewolf are going to be doing next. The screen doesn't go red. The screen goes to color. Yeah, I was wondering, is this all like Thor's dream or something? They start playing over the rainbow. It goes from black and white to color, which is reversed. Like colors, the fantasy land and Wizard of Oz. But because they were tapping into that, like, and then we cut to Jack like sleeping. I'm like, oh, is he going to wonder if it was all a dream? I, I thought maybe we get some twist there, but I'm not 100% sure why they go with over the rainbow and do this. I mean, Over the Rainbow fit because Wizard of Oz started black and white and then went to color. Yeah, but it's black and white at the end. <laughs> that was the only thing I could come up with, though. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, don't overthink it. Yeah, clearly. And, you know, it's a 1939 movie, which, again, sort of the vibe of this movie. Sort of-ish. You know, I don't know that there's really strong creative decisions that are happening here. A lot of it, the more I think about it, the need for black and white largely seems to reside on the fact that they can get away with the violence easier on Disney+. And now that there's no more violence and it's time for comedy, we can have a color scene in which Jack wakes up from his werewolf bender and Man-Thing and him plan to go have sushi or something. He does ask about... Elsa and Manthing assures him he did not harm her when he wolfed out. So again, is that tension? Does he have a thing for her? Or does he just not want to have murder on his hands? And maybe it's just because I ironically love Manthing. But which would you two rather see if this story were to continue? Would you prefer the adventures of Jack and Ted, or would you prefer Elsa? I want Elsa. Like, I want that Indiana Jones vibe, that adventure vibe with monsters. Like, I think that's a cool idea for a show or a movie. And yeah, Jack and Manthing could be there. But if I have to pick a half of this film, I'd go with her half. I feel like you're going to need a new monster. Just having them again wouldn't be enough in any capacity. The idea that there's all these monsters out there, the fact that Elsa, by birthright, is supposed to be hunting them down makes me want to know what else is going on in this monster MCU. This dark part that we've been told we've never seen before. I'm more curious about who else is out there. Morbius? Mm. You're losing me. <laughs> So, Jacob, Stuart, do you recommend Werewolf by Night? Jacob. I still don't know if Giacchino, like, secretly pretty good director, or, again, Marvel's just a machine, and, like, they can just pump stuff out, doesn't matter who's behind that camera. But, regardless, wherever that truth lies, either side's probably somewhere in between. Like, yeah, this is a really stylish, and I use that because this is a Marvel film, and like I feel like there's the house style. If you know comics, there's the house style, or there used to be, and everything had to look the same regardless of the artist. And oh, I miss that. 
See, I like specific artists and style to it, so that's why there's certain films, yeah, that Thor Ragnarok and even Winter Soldier with that 70s, you know, political paranoia vibe. Like, I'm not going to say there's no sense of style in the Marvel Universe, but I do feel it's lacking, especially when we're so many movies in. So to get this thing, yes, it's retro. This is Tarantino. Like, we'll take something old, we'll make it, like, ultraviolent, we'll give it a new vibe and say, here you go, it's a new style and fine. I, I'm willing to go with that, like, because this is Halloween, it's werewolves and monsters, and yeah, so go black and white, go universal. Like, I like how this looks. I like the score. I like the flaming tuba. Sorry, Arnie, like, <laughs> one of my favorite parts of this film, but I agree with you. Like, you called out a lot of interesting shots with depth, and again, things that I don't really associate with Marvel at this point. So, it felt fresh. Like, I know Phase 4, pretty abysmal phase in, in the Marvel Universe, but this is still... Either the best thing or, or second best to the Doctor Strange multiverse of madness film. Like, and it's weird. They're both kind of horror, like where you could have a Sam Raimi, you know, come up with a cool, weird vampire design for Doctor Strange or zombie design or whatnot. Like, so maybe that's what's lending itself to the sense of style. But yeah, for a 48 minutes, that's when the, the end shows up at 48 minutes. Like I wanted more, like I wasn't tired of this. Give me a 90 minute movie or give me another Halloween special next year. Yeah, this was a fun little treat in my bag recommend Stuart. yeah exactly so it's a bite size it is only one bit of candy that they plunk it in and actually probably a wise decision when i think about the tv series we've reviewed on disney plus they always seem to get in trouble by trying to go four or five hours i don't know that this novelty would really sustain if they had committed to a five, six, eight episode arc. I don't think it could have. It's just fine as one episode. I think Gale makes a charming werewolf. It's nice to know that Marvel has a monstrous side, even though I suspect it will never be as scary as I might want. There's questions to be answered down the line, but if we never returned here, it was fun just to, yeah, just to have a little taste of something new flavor to the traditional Marvel formula. And so, in the same way that I felt like Captain America, the first Avenger, was kind of, like, cool for its aesthetics, but, you know, kind of rushed through its potential, I feel like this one, yeah, it's over really quick. It doesn't have much aftertaste. But, yeah, I enjoyed it, and it's a recommend. Yeah, if I was out trick-or-treating, this is better than a circus peanut but not as good as a Reese's Peanut Butter Cup. <laughs> I think I might be the coolest on this of the three of us after hearing your guys' summations. I enjoyed this, but strangely, at 50 minutes, it almost felt like it was going to go too long in certain dialogue scenes. There was nothing here for me to really grip onto in the way of character, and so when it was over... I didn't care about any of the characters any more than I did when I started. And worse, I don't feel like I knew any more about the characters than I did when I started. When I saw Elsa Bloodstone was going to be in this, I'm like, great, maybe I can learn something about this character that I've played in Marvel Puzzle Quest for years. No, I still can't tell you anything about her except she has the last name and the stone of the same name, but... I don't feel I know much about her. I don't feel I know much about Jack and his werewolfism. This is just 
like a short EC comic, like you mentioned, Stuart. And it's fine for what it is, and I'm definitely going to recommend it, but I'm recommending it more for style than substance. Of course. I love the black and white. I love that the black and white had speckles through it, like a dirty print. I love that they added cigarette burns between the reels. I loved some of those shots by Giacchino's. And shout out to the man, I really loved what he did with the opening and closing score. Especially the opening when it starts with that Avengers logo, and it does the really heroic version, and then it, like, changes and becomes a horror version of that opening. Yeah, it goes to a minor key. Yeah, I really like what he did with that stuff. So... The devil's in the details on this one. It's a definite recommend, but much like Halloween candy, you're going to forget about it by the next morning. And again, I suspect that's true of the source material itself. Like, you can't make them all Spider-Man. Like, this doesn't have the potential to be one of the greats. So if it's a slight character, make it a slight special and give it a lot of style uh, what I wonder is, when it comes back, will they do the black and white trick again? Is that going to be a signature move of these Halloween werewolf monster Marvel Universe specials? I feel like they can't go back because they went to color at the end. Yeah, agreed. If they hadn't gone to color at the end, then they could keep it there. But now they close that door for whatever reason. I'm still not sure why they even chose to do color at the end, but... Yeah, I I would think it would be a cheat, but I did like the violence it allowed. <laughs> right. I don't think young people want to watch black and white movies. I'm just going to make that blanket statement. I think that they would be afraid to do this repeatedly because for some people it is a real chore to be in a black and white universe. But we will be back at Marvel in two weeks. Next week, Wakanda Forever opens. So we're going to get... A full-color, highly CGI rendition of whatever they're doing. I don't know. Did you see Black Panther 1? <laughs> I don't know if I'd say highly CGI. Oh, there was highly CGI. I didn't say it was good CGI. <laughs> and Namor. So we're going to be opening another esoteric door to Marvel. And if you had told me five years ago, let alone 10 or 20 years ago, that we'd be seeing Namor on the big screen, I would have told you to shut up, you were full of it. I don't know what Namor is, but I know what No More is, <laughs> and that's what we're getting of Arnold next week. Before we get to Wakanda Forever, we got one more of those damn Arnold Schwarzenegger action movies. The one that kind of finished off his theatrical career, if you don't count Terminator sequels. Collateral Damage. Never seen it. And I'm going in optimistic to say this wasn't what killed his career. He just chose to become a governor after this. Mm. We will see. And in the meantime, join us this Friday for something totally different. But I do think an important film of the 90s, Shortcuts. A patron requested that we cover Robert Altman's seminal look at Los Angeles, the flip side to his uh, hate letter to Hollywood, The Player. The film he made right afterwards was about the common man in Los Angeles. It has, I think, 24 characters all trying to do the right thing and largely failing. It's an interesting film, highly influential, and definitely hasn't gotten its due. It may even be hard for some of you to find a copy, but if you do... Please join us on Friday, and we'll cover that epic. That show is available to monthly patrons who pay $10 or more. You can do that on 
Apple Podcasts. You could do that on Spotify. You could do it over on our Patreon page, or you can do that at Podbean. There's over 70 bonus reviews just waiting for you to unlock them for just $10 a month. There's a new one added every month. Shortcuts is November's. And then in December, we're doing another Arnold movie, Jingle All the Way. Damn it, I thought we were done. (laughs) So you can find out all the details at one of those locations. And Jacob Stewart, thank you for joining me. And we'll be back with Collateral Damage one week before Wakanda Assembles! saying that you're going to be careful each time, and here we go again. You can't keep counting on me to save you. This is the last time. Thank you for listening to this episode in the now-playing Avengers Retrospective Series. Lucky for us, we got the best seats in the house. Part of our Marvel Comics Movie Retrospective Series. Your work has impressed a lot of people who are much smarter than I am. We hope you've enjoyed the show. We're adjourned. We're adjourned for the day. Okay. You've been a delight. Head to NowPlayingPodcast.com to hear reviews of all the Marvel Cinematic Universe films. From Iron Man to Guardians of the Galaxy to Endgame, we've reviewed every Marvel film at NowPlayingPodcast.com. Good luck keeping up. And while at our website, you can find reviews of other Marvel movies, including the Fox X-Men, Deadpool, Daredevil, and Fantastic Four films, New Line Cinema's Blade Trilogy, The Punisher movies, Sony's Spider-Man, Ghost Rider, and Venom films, and dozens more. I'm bringing the party to you. You can also find reviews of every DC Comics movie, plus hundreds of other movie reviews of series like A Nightmare on Elm Street, The Fast and the Furious, Ghostbusters, Jurassic Park, and more. Find over 1,000 in-depth movie review podcasts at nowplayingpodcast.com. Therefore, what I'm saying, if I'm saying anything, is welcome back. Subscribe to Now Playing on your podcast app of choice and get an all-new movie review every single week. We're gonna knock their socks off. Want even more Now Playing reviews? By being a Now Playing patron or donor, you can get two reviews each week. Is it too much of a problem to ask? Because I'm, I'm... Okay, okay. I really need your help here. Now Playing is an independent podcast without any sponsors or ads. We rely on listener support to keep our show going. Are you going to step up or not? Donate to our show, and as our thank you, receive bonus podcasts. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Supporters get perks including bonus podcasts every Friday, the ability to listen to us live, and you can even pick a movie for us to review and join us on the podcast. We need heroes. We need you. Find all the details at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. It's a small price to pay for salvation. You can also compare notes with us on Letterboxd. Go to letterboxd.com forward slash now playing to see what our hosts are watching when we're not recording podcasts. And follow Now Playing on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our YouTube channel. It's strange. Maybe. Who am I to judge? Now Playing Podcast is produced by Arnie Carvalho. Well, multi-platform global operation. Associate produced by Jason Latham. He's pretty good at that. Right? Now Playing is edited by Arnie. Now might be a really good time for you to get angry. That's my secret, Cat. I'm always angry. 
now playing Credit Narration by Brock. Are you making your voice deeper? No. <gasps> you he are. just did it again. You're the car, This man. is my voice. The opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the views of Venganza Media Incorporated. Just stick to the official statement and soon this will all be behind you. Venganza Media Incorporated is not affiliated with and this podcast has not been prepared, approved, or licensed by any entity that created the film analyzed herein. All movie clips and music included in this podcast are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review and no infringement is intended. You really think just because you have an idea, it belongs to you? Now Playing Podcast is an exclusive trademark of and may not be used without the express written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. On behalf of the Time Variance Authority, I hereby arrest you for crimes against the sacred timeline. Now Playing is a Vinganza Media production, copyright 2022, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. Hey, fellas. Hey, wait, where are you going? I've got so many more stories to tell. Gail Garcia Bernal, Laura Donnelly. It's Gael. But Gael, I googled that and it said Gail. But you sure it's Gael? I'm not sure. I just I've always said Gael. But okay. Laura Donnelly, Harriet Sansom Harris, directed by Michael Giacchino. Giacchino. That's how I've always mispronounced it. Is Giacchino? It's Giacchino. <laughs> oh. All right. So you're you're on it with the with the pronunciations tonight. Good on you. Yeah, if I was out trick-or-treating, this is better than a circus peanut, but not as good as a Reese's peanut butter cup. <laughs> <laughs> but better than a Eternals. <laughs> what would that be? Yeah, it's probably right there in with Biddle Honey. I mean, anything's, anything's better than a circus <laughs> peanut. That's just, I mean, you might as well get out of my face with that. Yeah, you egg those houses. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs>